If we're being honest, sometimes the holidays do not feel all that happy. And in what is supposed to be a season of hope, you might be finding yourself feeling somewhat resentful or disappointed that that does not seem to be the case for you. We're diving into this today in this episode of The Truth and Our Trauma. Ever sit down to pray and end up thinking about what you need to buy at the store instead? No judgment. I've totally been there. And that's why I decided to create the Ignite Strategic Prayer Planner and Journal. Know what to pray, track your impact, and learn to hear God's voice for yourself. Ignite is more than just a journal. It's a journey. And it's available now on Amazon and at the link in the show notes. When you are on some kind of healing journey, it's not uncommon for the holidays to feel like an emotional minefield. There are all of these triggers and reminders for us, and however they come doesn't really matter. They all tend to point to some similar things, some similar themes. You know, they may remind you of very specific holidays that did not go well in the past, or things that had seemed to go well in the past but really aren't your present reality now. And on top of this often is the realization that things just are not as they should be. Relationships are not what they should be. And there's just this sense that what I'm having to walk through or what I'm experiencing is so different than what it seems that everyone around me is experiencing. That where everyone else is gathering and celebrating and enjoying time together, I am sitting here wondering, will I ever feel that way? Since becoming a single mom, I have had some of the worst Christmases of my life over the last five years. Some of the worst. You know, it starts out in a divorce situation, for example, where it's having to deal with decorations and memories and things like that, that you just can't even can't even open the box. And then it moves into, though, having to split Christmases and waking up to a fully decorated festive house with no pitter-patter of little feet. And so while I've had to encounter these things, had to navigate these things over the last couple of years, last Christmas was by far the hardest. So like many families impacted by divorce, we switch off on the holidays and we have an every other year set up. And so last year was my year to be with my kids on Christmas Day. Now, They had been off for Christmas break the week prior, and their dad had taken them on a winter break trip. They were due to get back on the evening of Christmas Eve, and so in the meantime, I just try to make myself as busy as possible. I try to just enjoy the days and the time as I can, and last year, I chose to serve hot chocolate at my church during the Christmas Eve services. Now, this church actually has a whole lot of Christmas Eve services. So many, they start on Christmas Eve Eve. So it was actually the evening of the 23rd when I was serving that I started to hear these rumblings of family members who were having flights canceled, that there were people I was serving with that were expecting to have loved ones come into town on Christmas Eve and their flights were starting to be canceled. Now, in the moment, I didn't really understand what was going on. Nobody did. Nobody knew what was was brewing what was coming. And I didn't think anything of it. So I went home that night, of course, just praying a little prayer for those people that I knew, but thinking for sure this was not going to be an issue for me. You know, my kids were scheduled to come home the next day. And yeah, at Christmas time, there's lots of cancellations, but I'm sure with my kids, everything is going to be fine. 
I woke up Christmas Eve morning and headed back to the church to begin serving for the other services and got a text from my oldest daughter about midday that their flight home had been canceled. If you're thinking back to last year and this great big debacle that happened with a snowstorm coinciding with the holiday travel and the difficulties that Southwest Airlines had with keeping up with all of the demands and the changes, this was starting to break open right about this time. So it suddenly became clear that this was a much bigger problem and a much bigger situation that my kids were now caught in the middle of. My daughter had said they were able to get another flight, and so we knew the situation was significant, but we thought, okay, but it seems that there's hope here. So you just let me know how things unfold, and we'll keep praying about it. So as the time for that flight got closer, then I got a text from my oldest again that that flight had been canceled. And she had said that they were able to get another flight, but it meant that they were going to have to fly to another city and that they were not going to be able to catch that flight until Christmas morning. So the best case scenario was that they were going to now be able to make it home perhaps in the afternoon of Christmas Day. And while this was hard to hear and it was devastating, it still seemed that I was going to be able to spend some part of Christmas Day with my kids. So Christmas morning arrives and I wake up to discover that they did make the flight to that next city, but that the flight from that city home had been canceled. And now the best shot that they had for them to make it home was going to be the morning of the 26th. Now, when all of this happened, I just broke. I was so crushed. And part of it was the fact that there were all of these, what seemed to be possibilities that were just dashed. That Every time it seemed that there was gonna be hope that it was just taken away. But then on top of it, as I collapsed into this armchair, and cried. I just thought of all of the other Christmases where I had collapsed into this same armchair and cried because things were just not as they should be. And it was just this horrendous swirl of emotions because of course I was devastated that I was not going to be able to spend this Christmas with my kids, but I was also fed up. I was so fed up with hoping. I was fed up with hoping that they were going to make it home. I was fed up with hoping that this Christmas could have been any different or better than the Christmases in the past. It just seemed that year after year, Christmas was worse than the one before it. And this one just happened to take the cake. And none of this is about their dad. He did what he could to try to get them home. This was just the circumstance that they all found themselves in. But it's impossible in a situation like this not to look back at the past and think about every choice and every regret that led to you now being in this situation, me now being in this situation, and thinking if things had just fallen differently one way or another in one of these things, that maybe I wouldn't be in this spot. Maybe my kids wouldn't be in this spot that we could have Christmas like every other family or even like we used to. So as I sat in this chair, I pleaded with God just to understand what he was doing, understand what was happening. Now, the ironic thing about this is that I have a practice of every year asking the Holy Spirit to give me a word for the year to help me focus on what he wants to teach me in the upcoming year. And this year, the word was hope. 
Now, I don't have time to like deep dive on that practice here, but I did include a guide to this practice in the new Ignite Strategic Prayer Planner and Journal that just came out. But one of the things that I mentioned in that guide and that I always practice is I ask the Lord to give me a verse with this word that anchors me in understanding in scripture where he is moving me when it comes to this topic. So just two weeks before this entire Christmas debacle, I had written Romans 15, 13 on a whiteboard that I have in my kitchen. And as I'm sitting in this chair, it catches my eye. And Romans 15, 13 is, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as I'm looking at these words that I had scrawled up on this whiteboard just a couple of weeks before, they meant something completely different to me. And as I was reading this and reflecting on it in my current very hopeless circumstances, I took note of a phrase that I had actually underlined when I'd written this on the whiteboard. And the phrase is, as you trust in him. And this was actually quite surprising to me because when I first found out that my kids were not going to make it back on Christmas Day earlier that morning, the Bible verse that ran through my head was Job 13, 15, in which he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Yet I will trust in him. Here it was just in the early hours of that morning and two references to trusting in God And interestingly enough, if you think about that, it was Romans 15, 13 and Job 13, 15. So you have these same numbers, one the inverse of the other. But the same point is that our hope, as the Romans verse indicates, is tied, even in the hardest situations, to our ability to trust God in them. Now, I want to admit something for a moment. It is not easy when we are suffering (laughs) for us to trust in God and to even know what that looks like. And I will be fully transparent, more than once in a time of pain, I have said to the Lord, why are you punishing me? Because that's what it feels like. We believe that he is punishing us. We believe that if he really loved us, our circumstances would not be what they were, and that he would get us out of the mess that we find ourselves in. So when we find ourselves in that mess and those circumstances don't change, it seems that the only reasonable explanation is God is punishing me or he's trying to teach me a lesson, or he's taking this away from me, that there is just not a clear-cut understanding of what God is actually trying to do in this or what he could do in it. And it just feels so unfair. It feels like, as Job even says in the verse that I was thinking of, he's slaying us. It's like, why are you doing this to me? But in this, and this is the question I really want to put out there in this discussion, is what if in what feels like slaying, God is actually at work in to bring us more life? What if in what feels like a removal or a loss that there's actually more to be gained? And I do not want to say that in some kind of trite way, because the fact of the matter is this is suffering. It hurts. It is hard and it is horrible. I do not know your circumstance. I don't know what you're walking through. But I know that if you're listening to this, it's bad. And so I don't want to bypass or discard that at all. But I do want us to wrestle a little bit with the fact that 
not being able to fully understand the cause of our suffering, and I'm not going to be able to add any light to that in this conversation, but but the fact that we are wrestling with not understanding the cause of our suffering often results in us pointing the finger at God. And when we are pointing the finger at God, then we are not also to simultaneously look to Him as the one who is our help and is our hope in these situations. We're not able to embrace the fact that some of the suffering that we experience is because of sin and brokenness in the world, and that all of that would be insurmountable to us if it were not for him, if it were not for his ability to redeem these situations, to bring something good out of something bad, and to make meaning out of what is otherwise senseless. And for us to get here, sometimes it means we have to suspend that lack of understanding as far as why this suffering is happening to me, especially when it seems like it's uniquely happening to you. We have to have the ability to say in one hand, I don't understand this part. And that makes me actually not want to trust God, maybe. But then on the other hand, recognizing if there is any hope, as Job says, if there is any hope that I have, it's in God. That's it. There's no other place. And one of the realizations that can help us to hold this tension, to sit in the middle of these two things, is the understanding that oftentimes we do know that this world is broken. We do know that. But yet it's the most certain thing that we know. It's the thing we can see, we can touch it, we can smell it. So very often then we're hanging on to what we see in the world because it is very difficult to perceive and then trust the things of God that are unseen. And this is a very human tendency. But the problem for us comes in when the things that we look to for certainty and for surety are temporal. They are broken. They are not going to last forever. So that means eventually they're going to disappoint us. And one place where we see these dashed expectations so plainly and so clearly is at these times like the holidays. It's where we have an expectation of our mind that if things went in this way, then it means that everything else is going to be okay. And it's at seasons of the year, especially like this, where a lot of those expectations are absolutely ruined and where we encounter feelings and triggers that we didn't anticipate. And so then we are walking through these dashed expectations and saying, well, now what? If this thing that I thought was going to give me certainty is gone, now what? And this is totally what happened to me. This was my experience. Back when I was married, I was in the business of having Instagrammable perfect Christmases. And yes, Jesus was at the center. Yes, everything that we were focusing on was pointing towards the birth of our Savior. But it was Jesus plus. It was Jesus plus the Polar Express train ride. It was Jesus plus the hot chocolate ice skating party. It was Jesus plus the matching Christmas pajamas and the perfectly decorated house and the Christmas parties and the cookies and the recipes and all of the things, right? And these things are good. They're enjoyable, right? They are there for our enjoyment, but things go off the rails when we expect them to be part of our fulfillment. Because here's why I was doing all those things, other than the fact that, yeah, I'm creative and festive and I love them and I enjoy them, but I also was using them as the benchmark, the barometer 
of my personal value and my personal worth, that where my family was falling apart, at least if we could have fun, it would cover up the fractures. And it meant then that I would also have the photos to prove it. It meant that the things that were not okay, maybe then that they actually could be okay, that I could make it okay. And it wasn't until I lost the ability to do all of these things that I began to realize just how much I felt like I needed external things, Christmas or not, but how much I needed external things to give me the hope that everything was going to be okay. I began to see just how much I relied on my ability to manufacture these experiences, to manufacture goodness in order to believe that then I had that same power in the rest of my life. But in the end, that turned out to be a house of cards, right? Because I can't do that. I can't manufacture enough good experiences to get rid of the bad things, to cover up the hopeless parts, right? That there's not even enough good things in the world that can make us feel like everything will be okay, And so whether it's a Christmas that goes wrong or a marriage that breaks up or a job that you lose, whatever we are pressing into that is not Jesus ultimately is going to end up disappointing us. But the sweet thing about the Lord is that he doesn't stop here. We think he does because this is why we think he's he's punishing us or he is teaching us a lesson. We think it is just the lesson to learn. Well, you need to pull your eyes off of the things of the world and put them on me, which yes, there is a lesson to learn in this, for sure. But that's not where God stops. Okay, this one is for all my overthinkers out there. I used to be absolutely debilitated by intrusive thoughts. Everything from constant worry to just dread of the future, I couldn't make it stop. If you're there right now, I have developed a free downloadable guide to help you get your mind back. It's called Overthinking. Get out of your head and on with your life. And you can download it for free right now at UncommonValor.co. So if we go back to my Christmas story, you know, here I was in my armchair and just really moping through the morning. And a friend of mine said, hey, I know this isn't going to make it feel any better, but why don't you come have lunch with us? She said, stay in your pajamas. You don't need to be fancy for us. Just come. And even if you just want to sit in our chair and cry, you're welcome to come here and be with us. So I drove up there. And honestly, I wasn't really all that hungry, but I just felt like it wasn't good for me to be by myself anymore either. So I arrived and the kids are all still enjoying their gifts. And my friend and I sit down around the island and we're just having coffee and chit-chatting. And she said to me, hey, do you still eat eggs every day for breakfast? Do you want some? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm just not, you know, I'm not feeling it right now. And their foster daughter, who was 11 at the time, said to me, oh, I can make eggs. And she pulled eggs out of the refrigerator. And I thought, well, she's going to make them for herself. You know, so I'm, I'm not really paying attention to the fact that she's gotten herself busy in the kitchen. And as we continue chit-chatting, all of a sudden, this child pushes a plate across the island to me and says, here you go. And I was absolutely undone by this because here was a child that very easily could feel overlooked on Christmas Day. That though she had a lot of gifts to open, she was not with her biological family. That she has probably had difficult Christmases in the years before. And yet she saw me. She saw me. Like, shouldn't the tables be turned? She saw me and did what she could to bring me a little bit of joy in the situation. 
And so I only have one photo from this Christmas day, and it is of me and her. And it was just this picture of God bringing goodness and light and redemption into circumstances for both her and for me that we wouldn't otherwise choose. And in the sweetness of this moment, I understood that God was not ruining my perfect Christmas just to teach me a lesson. He had something so sweet and so beautiful that he wanted to give both to me and this young girl. And that's where the hope is. You know, it's in these circumstances that may not change. It's in these things that are less than perfect, where we can pull our eyes away from our expectations of the way that we think that things should go, or maybe that they really should go, you know, but that we can take our eyes away from those things and see what he's doing instead. See where he is in the midst of it, because he is there. He is doing things. He's doing a new thing. And it's not going to look like the old thing. It's not going to look like everybody else's thing. It's going to be a different thing. But it's there. And it's in these times that we learn how to notice it and then begin to believe that even if nothing changes, everything is going to be okay, that we can have hope because the God who never changes is always going to be right there. His goodness is always going to be right there. And that's what the word hope really means. It means to expect good, to expect God's goodness, no matter what the circumstances look like. And so it wasn't until all of these pluses that I had been adding to Jesus had been taken out of my hands that I could see then what it truly meant for me to rely on Jesus as everything, as the only source of good and fulfillment in my life, that any enjoyment that he brings to me is a gift, but it is not the ultimate gift. It's not where joy and peace and belonging and love and light are found. And the source of where that comes from is Him, and we will never lose that. And I know that just because I am saying this to you does not change the circumstances that you're in right now. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be any easier for you to find hope in the circumstances that you're in. It is something that you have to walk out for yourself. And sometimes... If I'm being honest, these feel like they're two completely different chapters and that we can't get to the hope chapter without walking through the hopeless one. But one thing I've learned in the last five years with all of these really difficult Christmases is the fact that God is actually writing these two stories simultaneously, that these two chapters are overlapping experiences. And that while sometimes it feels like that hopeless chapter is the only one that we're living out of, that hope one gets written in a little bit more and more and more each time. And what's happening, though, is this hopeful chapter is breaking in. It is starting to just pierce the hopelessness. And it's little by little. Sometimes it feels so small. But the hope is piercing through that hopelessness and to the point where it overtakes to where the expectation when something hard happens is that something good is in this and will come from this even if right now it hurts even if right now I wish that this could happen a different way that I wish God could get me here in some other way but the recognition that the hard and the hopeless is where you will eventually get to experience the depth of hope that can never be taken from you. It's in that little by little by little how we learn to trust God. It's how we learn to hold that tension. It's how we learn to just wait and become expectant that maybe something can be better. And it's where drop by drop by drop, you will eventually overflow with hope. 
Thanks for being with me for this episode today. I hope you'll come back again. And in the meantime, you can follow me over on social media and find out about our resources and services over at uncommonvalor.co. 